Well, we will go ahead and begin. Appreciate you all coming. And I hope that this is beneficial to you. We have a, a little discussion on social media and how to use it well, how to use it Christianly. One of the things that I've experienced over the last few weeks is I've been using social media a lot less because I knew I was teaching a class on how to use social media well. <laughs> so as soon as you do that, it's like, well, I'm opening myself up for some challenge. Aren't, you know, didn't you just say? So that's just been kind of in the back of my mind. Anytime I get on social media, like, okay, am I going to follow my rules or, you know, what am I going to do here? So um, I want to talk about uh, social media in a sense as a spiritual discipline. And I'm going to talk about why that is and then how to engage in it as such. And I think when we reframe it that way, um, I think it's very, very helpful for us to have a more productive and engaging conversation, uh, a more peaceful, loving conversation than often we find on social media. Um, the reason this is a halfway productive discussion is because only you uh, can control yourself. You know, you can't control the other person. And, but I, I can guarantee you, though, that if you go about this with the right mindset and a Christ-like mindset, uh, that there, there are productive things that can happen in your online conversations, uh, productive within your own life, productive within your own faith, within your own soul. Uh, I, I, you know, only you can control you. And so if you are determined to uh, discipline yourself in a spiritual manner in your online conversation, I think there's formation to be had in that process. Uh, the other question then is, and the title is then, what, what is productive? And sometimes we mislabel or misunderstand, I think, what productivity is online. And what has been reassigned as productive is winning, often in a lot of theological, political, uh, social, whatever, conversation that you're having online, uh, you know, that you're, you're, trying to you're trying to have the right kind of outcome of, of basically winning an argument or coming out on top or looking better or being better or people thinking more highly of you. Um, all manner of things that are actually quite contrary to the gospel of Christ, really. Uh, so what do I mean by productive? Well, the productivity is going to be our own spiritual development. As we discipline ourselves through our use and our language and our attitudes on social media, there is formation, I think, that can occur of our own self. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I think is interesting about social media is it almost doesn't matter what you can put online, someone can argue about it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, a spiritual Rorschach test. You remember those old tests where they'd have the ink plots and they would put the ink plot up, you know, what do you see? And they have the cards, what do you see? What do you see? Uh, you know, it's, it's as if people, and, and what the ink plot showed you was it was a, a projection. They're meaningless images, but I'm projecting meaning onto the image and revealing something about my subconscious, my subconscious in what I'm projecting on the image and communicating of what I see in the clouds or in the ink plot. Uh, and social media, I think, is very similar to that. Uh, you can post a picture of your grandkids and a conversation can start. I mean, an argument. An argument can start, right? Uh, and and that, that reminded me a little bit of entropy, you know, because uh, you think about the, the whole uh, apologetic of entropy and, like, you maybe heard, like, the second law of thermodynamics that, you know, things tend to fall apart over time. You know, you, you, don't, you don't start with a pile of bricks and they form themselves into a nicely constructed or well-organized three-story building. But if you have a really nice constructed three-story building and you let it sit up for a long time, it becomes a pile of bricks. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen pictures of children and food turn into an argument. Uh, I've never seen a political argument turn into pictures of kids, right? 
and I think that, that is a good illustration of entropy uh, at work. Now, if you search the scriptures and you take the scriptures very seriously, we actually get quite a bit of guidance on how to discuss things and how to see each other and the kind of attitude that we have toward one another. And uh, as you look at these verses very carefully and, and you, know, you, you get into your Greek New Testament and into the textual variants, there's not a single phrase in there that exempts social media. Uh, I think if the apostles had known about this, they would have said that too. <laughs> and uh, and I, I want to read just a couple of verses. And, and you know, I almost kind of just feel like doing just a Bob Newhart stop it kind of thing, you know. Um, I think it's, I mean, do we need to really say more? But I think we can say more because I think there's some instruction that we can have that will be helpful. Uh, there, there are verses like in Luke 6, 45, where Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I think, I think we could add to that, and the fingers type what the heart is full of, right? Um, there's another verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter tells us very directly, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, on the contrary, repay evil with, anybody know? Blessing. Repay evil with blessing. Can you imagine applying that principle to social media conversation? That when somebody insults or somebody somebody is coming at you strong, that you re- respond with blessing? How disarming that would be? How transformational that would be? How, how the tone of the conversation could be adjusted and changed to be a more spiritually minded conversation. And I think that's what a lot of our breakdown comes into is we're not having spiritually minded conversation even while we're talking about spiritual matters. It's such an odd thing. Um, there's another verse in Ephesians 4 verse 9 where Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up. What if we did that? What if we applied that? What would that look like? How would that change uh, the conversation that we're having? Uh, and, and I'm as guilty as anybody. Uh, there, there are things I know I've said on Facebook that I would never have said to somebody face-to-face. I can recall one time uh, someone private messaging me and telling me uh, that they would like to sit down and talk sometime and have lunch. And they're very far away, very distant, not real super likely to happen. Where they live, it's not a place I often go. But even just the thought of that, made me think about the conversations that I'd had with this person in the past. What have I said? If I were to sit down and have an actual face-to-face conversation, would I be embarrassed over something that I have said? Not because I never expected I would meet them. And I would have never said it to them, right? And so it's odd how we kind of disconnect uh, some of those things. But the Bible speaks very clearly into this. It's just the medium has changed. It's not that face-to-face interaction, but it's the hypertext interaction, and we'll talk about uh, some of the limiting factors of that here in just a moment. So the apostles can't foresee this, but they still give instruction that should inform and instruct uh, our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, and and those sorts of things. Uh, So how can we have a better conversation? That's the question. How can we have a better conversation that brings about spiritual growth and development for our own self? Because I feel like what happens when we get on social media and we begin typing things is uh, we, are, we are expressing some things out of some places within our own hearts and minds that we may not even be aware are there. 
Um, so, so uh, anybody ever seen uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah. Oh, chance, yeah. okay. Yeah. And you remember the fight with uh, Lancelot and the Black Knight? It's kind of gruesome, you know. Yeah. Arms gone, arms gone, leg, leg. He's kind of just there, like a little stump on the ground, <laughs> and he's threatening to bite him, you know. Uh, he's hobbled. I mean, he's he's incapacitated, right? And and that's how the fight ends. Although he's not done, you know, the Black Knight's not done. I think that's how social media conversations begin. No legs, no arms, no ability to, uh, there, there's a lot of things stripped out that make our conversations very ineffective. And I'm gonna mention a few things and then we're gonna to get to some, framing up some how-tos, how to do this better. Uh, so there's some missing components here when we get online. Can y'all think of any missing components to just good communication when you're just typing away? Facial expressions, body okay. language, tone body of voice. What's that? Tone of voice. Tone of voice. Body language. Body language. Not verbal. Facial expressions, things like this. Uh, oh. These these all express meaning, don't they? There's also uh, humanness. You know. Yes. I used to teach online courses, and what students would type to me would would indicated they didn't realize I was a human on the other side. Yes. <laughs> And, and yes, and, and that's such a good point. Um, and that's the personal relationship component. Uh, and, and I want to talk in a moment about fight or flight and the objectification of people when we are anxious. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight is, a, is an anxiety-driven response reaction, right? And when we get into that reaction, reactionary posture, uh, we begin objectifying. Because you're, when you fight somebody, you're objectifying that person. Right? Um, Nonverbals, uh, how do they fix that? Emojis. Did it fix it? No. I put a smiley face to make sure you think I'm okay, right? <laughs> it's not the same thing, right? It's not the same thing as us talking and seeing and, and, and all the little muscles that are working and, and all the little nuances of smiles and things. I mean, they even try to give you different smiles, right? <laughs> but it just doesn't work. Uh, tone of voice, are they yelling? Caps lock? <laughs> Tone of voice, right? Has that ever worked for anybody? Caps Lock ever won the argument? Caps Lock and they said, okay, fine, you're right. It never works, right? That's a bad option. Um, personal relationships again. So we're, we're missing these things that are just essential to good, effective communication, meaningful communication, are just <coughs> stripped out from the very, very beginning. And so that's why I feel like online conversation um, has resistance. This forms uh, a kind of resistance to productivity and, and useful for building others up. It forms resistance to that, that I feel like, it, one of the things that makes a spiritual discipline transformative in a discipline is resistance. You're doing something that doesn't come natural to you. It's naturally resisting your effort. You know, can you, how, how, how many times can you pray a day? How long can you pray? How much scripture can you? There are things that naturally resist some of these things. Um, and so this resistance, I think, is what gives us opportunity for formation. Okay. These barriers that are just embedded in the fabric of hypertext, distant communication, I think, are opportunities for growth if we're able to consider that and think through that and work through that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give uh, a few, a few um, thoughts here and um, you all just take this in and I'd love to hear your, your feedback. 
there was a Seinfeld episode where George decides that you know every decision he's ever made has been a bad one, and so he would be much better off if he just always did the opposite of whatever came to mind. And he began succeeding. You know, uh, a lot of what comes very natural to us doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so we have to have a better way to go about this to be beneficial to have Christ-like and Christ-imitating conversations. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever been or felt insulted online? Anybody? I see head nods. Anybody? Okay, let's see it. Okay. How did you feel when that happens or happened? Probably just happened once. <laughs> How did you feel in that moment? Defensive. Defensive. Okay, that's a good word for it. Describe your feeling. Think about the thinking. Metacognition, right? I was thinking, why is he doing this? You okay. don't know me. You don't okay. know. You don't know me. Okay. To say that. And often the people that we have arguments or whatever with, if I look back on those, it's almost always people I don't know personally. And that goes to your point, uh, is that lack of, of hum humanity within it. There are, there, there's an objectification that comes through that distance in that text that they're not treating you as a, as a person. Now describe your physiology. What's happening? How do you feel feel? Not just what are you saying, what are you thinking and saying to yourself, how are you feeling? Angry, heartbeat, heart, like rapid, jumping, yeah. okay, maybe sinks. You ever, have you ever felt a mmm? Mm. I don't know a word for it, it's just like a feeling of just mmm. It's like we were on that thing at Santa Monica up here that goes like this. And when you get to the top, and then you drop almost faster than gravity, there's that sinking feeling mm. down in your gut. Uh, and when, in, in the New Testament, when Jesus is really, really troubled, it, it's the word for guts. Splagna, splagnitsomai, you know. He's troubled in his gut. Because where do you feel it when you feel bad, when you feel sad, when you feel anxious? You feel it right down here, don't you? We think of our heart as the center of emotion. They often thought like your guts, because it, your guts start rolling, you start feeling anxious, your, your stomach's growling, your heart rate goes up, right? Um, your breathing can intensify, your blood pressure can rise, you might yawn a little bit, which is a little hyperventilation, uh, rapid breathing, muscles tightening. What are, you, what are you getting ready for? Getting ready for a fight, aren't you? It's this visceral, reactive response that overtakes our common sense the more. When, when, when this happens, it kind of like shuts down the common sense areas, right? And you, you lose your filters of, of decorum because you're gearing up for this fight. You're building walls. You're building defenses. You're getting the guns out, right? I mean, metaphorically, right? And, and this, it's a visceral, it's a stress response, and it's an anxiety response. Because you're getting ready for a fight, fight or flight. And at that moment, you are in a very, very poor position to have a good conversation. Yes. Not going to happen. So we're going to talk about what do you do with that. Uh, I will say there are times when fight or flight is probably actually a healthy response. But I would say the, the moments of those are probably very slim. I mean, like a child's being hurt or something. Like, there's a very short list of, like, you should really, like, feel that way and re re respond like that, like that strongly. There's a, there's a few instances of those things, but it's not, like, your normal run-of-the-mill argument. Um, so I'm not asking you to deny that, but I am asking you to recognize it. And I think this is the first moment 
of our own self-consideration, our own introspection, to begin identifying the feelings of anxiety and stress that well up within us, and to try to recognize that and begin to disarm that a bit. To let those feelings die down before you react in a way that your full mind can be engaged in the process. Because you're shutting off areas of your brain that you're gonna need to have a good conversation. Um, so again, when you fight or flight at subjectification, people are, are, are objects to you and you're gonna fight them. And that's not a good position to be. So we have to resensitize ourselves to the humanity of other people. Um, and so let's talk about how, how do you do this? Um, how do you do this? So the first thing I think is, um, and, and before I get into what I think is the first thing, I wanna, I wanna recommend a class that happened earlier today, uh, Houston Heflin's class on uh, Pray Like You Breathe. And he has a little book of that same title. His class this morning was excellent. Uh, if you took what he said this morning and incorporated this into your daily routine, into your online activity, uh, it would help you tremendously. So if you didn't catch that class this morning, or if you haven't read his book, uh, I would encourage you to, to check on that because it's excellent, excellent material. So what do you do? How do you disconnect all this to get yourself back in a position spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, you know, neurologically into a better position to not be so reactive. And that's a very key word here, reactivity. We're, we're, we're striving to be a non-anxious presence, right? So what do you do? The first thing I think you do is you pause. It's to stop. Back to Bob Newhart, stop it. No, mm -hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's not like you're stopping the conversation. You're just pausing for a moment, considering, being thoughtful, being reflective. And if those feelings are welling up inside of you, what this does is it gives you some time to assess that, identify that, and let those things simmer down some. So they're not right there on the surface that your, your, your filters are all just shot full of holes. Um, now the problem with pausing is, and, and in our, by the way, most of the really bad online conversations you've ever had probably go like this. this Comment, 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 and it's, and it's reactivity on reactivity, and it's just a, a, just a downward spiral of just people reacting over and over again, and it's so rapid fire. And so part of our inclination, and I can only speak for myself, is if I don't keep engaging, let's go back to what it means to be productive. I said it's not about a win. Once we say it's not about a win, it's about something else, then I don't feel the need to have to just keep jumping in so quickly, which is just lose, lose, lose anyway. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, I'm just losing the whole way from a Jesus perspective. So when I pause, my, my fear in the pause is they're going to think they won. He didn't come back and say anything. I guess I got in. It's been, I, I have literally, I have literally looked at conversations and I, and I see, you know, person A and B and C and D. And that last person just makes an amazing comment. I'm like, he just shut everything down. It's been now eight hours and nobody said anything else. And I feel like that person won the day. I remember thinking this a few weeks ago. That person won the day. That was an amazing comment. Nobody has said anything in 11 hours. You know what it may be? It may be that people engaged in that conversation are smart and spiritually minded. And they just had to just walk away and not make things worse. Maybe they're playing with their children. Maybe they're having a great time on vacation. Maybe they're praying. Maybe they've re-engaged in something else. 
But, but we still think they have that conversation on their mind, because I do. So the pause gives us some time, gives us some time to begin to reframe things spiritually. And there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, if you write that down, is such an important verse. And Paul says there that we are to take every single thought captive to Christ. Just like Ephesians 4, just like back in Luke we mentioned, just like all those other verses we talked about, I got more in 1 Peter 3. What if we did that? We have a thought. I pause with it. I'm going to hold it right there. I'm going to, I'm going to take it captive. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to run with it. I'm not going to type it. I'm going to cap- capture it. I'm going to take that thought, and instead of reactive, instantaneous feedback into a negative, anxious, stressful, fight-or-fight feedback loop where my common sense is just shot. I'm going to pause and consider, let my, let my physiology settle, and I'm going, to, and I'm going to, to examine my thoughts. He doesn't just say take them captive. He says take them captive to Christ, which to me says I'm going to hold up my thought, and I'm going to take Jesus, and I'm going to hold him up, and I'm going to do some comparing and contrasting. And I'm going to, in, in, this, in this time of pause, I'm going, to, I'm going to examine that and see if it passes the Jesus test. Would Jesus say this? Could I pray this in Jesus' name? Does this please him? Is this going to, even a Paul filter, is this helpful for building others up? And going to 1 Peter 3, what does he say? If you're insults, don't return insult to insult. Return insult with what? Blessing? Am I doing that? That's biblical. Am I following that instruction? And so when you pause, it gives you some time, again, to, to calm down the physiology and to begin to re-engage spiritually and mentally. And it, it's going to have to knock pride out of the equation because you're not responding it's so instantaneously that people are going to think they're winning. And as long as we have pride in the equation and someone else thinks they're winning, we're going to continuously feel that need to re-engage until we feel like we've won it. But that's not the gospel of Christ. So there's number one. There's the pause. And, and you're not going to worry what they're going to think because you haven't responded. Uh, there was one, a moment, a time, some years or however long it was been for me, that, I mean, I really felt like I was corrector in chief. I mean, I'm, I'm like the guy responsible for making sure everybody's in line. Yeah, I could catch them all, you know, somehow. I don't know how you ever could do that. Um, it's okay for incorrect things to be said and you not say a word. It's okay for people to say incorrect things on your post and you not say a word. And this is one of those things that troubles me sometimes because um, uh, there are times that I post some things and uh, really bad conversations happen. And sometimes I engage that and sometimes I don't. And there, there are times when I don't that people accuse me of being complicit. Why didn't you tell them how wrong they were to say that? How could you let someone say that on your wall and not respond to that? You know why? Because I'm ignoring them. Because they want attention. I'm not going to feed the trolls. I'm not going to throw that a bone. I'm gonna, it doesn't mean I agree with that because I don't say anything. Well, aren't they going to win? No. Is that, it doesn't win. That's not Christ-like. That's the wrong 
win. Um, and so I think we, if we're in that position, we need to become uncomfortable with our attitude that the fruit of the Spirit is not obvious in that kind of conversation. Um, and so we find ourselves trying harder and harder to understand the other person more. Uh, and so how long of a pause are we talking about here? How, how long do you think might be helpful? Maybe overnight. Okay, so you're overnight. But what are they going to think? Overnight? Is that too long? What do you think? Sometimes you go back and you read what they actually wrote, and it reads differently than your first reaction. Yes. Mm-hmm. And overnight gave me that ability to read it clearer. Yes. There's the pause. And it's okay. And it's okay if you never come back. It actually may be good to never come back. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need to need to move on. Twenty four hours may be a good thing. Eternity may be a good thing. <laughs> you know, and it's going to again allow our minds and bodies to get in the in the right gear and and begin applying certain filters. Let me give you a few, a few more filters in that pause and that taking thoughts captive to Christ. Uh, is this the best path to grace and truth? We say, I want, I want to. I want, the, I want the truth to succeed. Well, is my approach lending itself to the truth coming out? Or am I hindering that? Uh, is it beneficial? Does it build people up? Does it pass the Philippians 4.8 test? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. <coughs> does it pass that test? Does it honor Christ? And so in that pause, there's some, some, some work to be done, some soul work to be done that will help us to be in a better posture to interact and dialogue in a more <coughs> beneficial way. Does this thought, word, action, attitude embody the fruit of the Spirit? Is it one that's full of love, joy, peace, patience, and all those sorts of things, or not? Of the flesh or of the Spirit? Uh, one, of the, one of your best discipline, uh, spiritual discipline friends on, on your computer is your backspace button, right? <laughs> <laughs> that little X up there that says, are you sure you want to lose this comment? Yes! <laughs> yes, I am. Make it go away. Um, and you know, sometimes you post things and you, you know, I'm wondering how many people saw that before I deleted that? I shouldn't have said that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so part of what I'm saying here is we tend to think it's all about us, but it's really not. And that's that spiritual Rorschach test. Part of the spiritual Rorschach test is it's really all about me. People are thinking about me. People are listening to me. When I say things, they're responding to me. Me, 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 me. This is a social media problem. And we as Christians just shouldn't, shouldn't uh, engage in the same kind of way. So here's, here's number two. Um, here's number two. Uh, don't assume anything about anybody. And this is not really possible. Because no one can tell you everything, and no one can speak absolutely about everything about themselves. You clarify and nuance to your dead. But try really hard to listen and not assume. Uh, so you're seeking to understand, and you're seeking clarity, and you're asking for more information. When you said this, what did you mean by that? Which is a different statement than, when you said that, I can't believe you meant that. <laughs> and then they say, what, do you, what, what often happens? No, I didn't say that. What they're really saying is, I didn't mean that. It sure seemed to me you said that. They're really saying, I didn't mean that. And see, so if I assume something about somebody else, I'm projecting on them assumptions and conclusions that they may not even believe. And then I'm arguing with them as if, which is counterproductive 
to a good conversation. So after I pause and I begin engaging, what I want to do in that moment where my soul is in a good place is to understand. Do I understand what they're saying? Do I understand where they're coming from? What parts of what they're saying are difficult for me to understand? And I'm going to ask them about that. What did you mean when you said such and such? See, here, here's, here's the problem why we maybe resist some of this is this is a longer conversation, in a sense. It's a, it's a more time-consuming, thoughtful conversation. It's not just reactivity, just going crazy, going mad. That's, an e, that's the easy button. But it's not the Jesus button. It's not the discipline button. So you're, you're allowing them to fill in their own gaps in what they're saying um, so that you're not having to assume anything. Don't, don't fill that in for them. Ask about what you don't understand. And, and you can't engage an idea that you don't understand. So that's, to me, step number two. Listen, ask, what do I not understand here? Um, uh, third, a third part of this is uh, admit and acknowledge. So if they're saying something that is counter to what you think, uh, and you, you, you come to the conclusion that there's actually some truth in that, <clears throat> acknowledge it. You know, I, I know you said such and such. Actually, I never thought of that. That's actually a really good point. I need to consider that a little bit longer. It blows a big gaping hole in what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not totally certain about what I've, you know, I've got to consider that some more. You're not losing anything. What are you losing in that? Losing face? Losing pride? Good. Not good. So you're admitting, it, and, and if, if, if there's um, an apology that's owed, I misunderstood you. I'm sorry I assumed things about you. Um, I had that wrong. So what we're really doing here, see, this is actually the opposite of fight or flight. This is rehumanizing, re-engaging, thoughtfulness, spiritually-minded engagement. Fight or flight is building walls, building defenses. This is bringing them back down so we can see each other. right? I can see you, and you can see me, and we can talk about this. So I'm going to be vulnerable. <coughs> I'm going to be vulnerable. And in the back of my mind, it's like, well, kind of like even if you don't warrant it. I'm going to try to be vulnerable. And we'll see how it goes. Um, so again, you're disarming. Apologies disarm. Uh, we had we had a dog one time, and a uh, little corgi, little Welsh corgi, Pembroke, really sweet little dog, so smart. And uh, when he would get in trouble, and maybe a lot of dogs, I've only had a couple dogs my whole life, but when he would get in big time trouble, well, he would wet the floor and he got in big time trouble, but <laughs> he, he would flip over on his back, his back <coughs> mentality. Pack mentality is I'm not the alpha dog, you're in charge, and I'm I'm just putting my neck out there for you. Just like kill me if you want to, you know. I mean, he's like completely vulnerable. Belly, neck, all this is just here I am. You know, you're in charge. Complete vulnerability. And I don't really know how you do that, especially with people that you don't know through this medium. I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't really know that that's possible. But I, I think we should be willing to try to be a bit more vulnerable um, in these kind of conversations. And so when there's apologies that are in line, like uh, you're, you're looking back over what you said. But if, if you engage in this well, you should actually be going back and reading what you wrote. Did I, how did I say that? Did I, did I say what I think I said? Because when you're reading what they're writing, they're responding to you. It may be you said something wacky that you didn't even consider how they might hurt you. <coughs> And if you're out of line with that, or you're just a bad communicator, 
no problem saying, you know what, I didn't communicate that very well. Let me try that again. I'm taking ownership of my own, um, my own part of the breakdown. It's really hard to be mad at somebody like that. When someone is apologetic, vulnerable, authentic, transparent, it's really hard to be mad at somebody like that. It's often, and this is more for me, face-to-face -face conversations, but sometimes I apply this online. Um, if I'm about to engage in a really hard conversation, and again, uh, these, these social media conversations are so public, this is less often there, more in private messages and things, but uh, often I'll start a conversation by saying, uh, what I want to talk to you about is actually quite hard for me to talk to you about. I don't really enjoy talking about this, and but I feel the need to say such and such. This is not that's again not as much of a public thing as uh, as what we're talking about. But that vulnerability—it's really hard to attack a vulnerable person. Um, before I, I got a few more here. Some thoughts here. Let's engage just a bit. Let's talk about this. <coughs> Other suggestions? A few more here. I'm going to hit on, but. Well, I think the rereading what you're writing is pretty important. I, I don't. I'm still a person that hasn't used like Facebook because I don't know if I can handle the negative negative side of it. You know, but I do a lot of emailing, and I'm very slow because I'll go through the same email three or four times and realize that was not a good word. It mean it's a word that means gets a meaning for me, but that's a red flag to the person that's listening to it. That's gonna that's gonna send them off in the wrong direction. I don't want to I need a better word there that will you know, that will convey the same thing but be something they can feel like they'll understand better. So mm -hmm. sometimes I go through and I'm editing words and taking out words that I think will trigger, you know, uh, wrong responses and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, and sometimes I'll wipe a whole line out. So I don't even need to say that right now. You know? and, uh, That's good. Yeah. So it's a much slower process, right. which takes more investment. But to me, this is fewer conversations done well, <coughs> right? So I don't feel the need to jump into all the conversations yes. because I can't do this with all the conversations. I think picking your battles is huge. I don't expect to change somebody's mind over Facebook and so or Twitter or whatever social media platform is currently being used. So I try to take, you know, to ask myself, is this comment going to be beneficial to the larger audience? Um, and if so, will it move the conversation forward in a positive way? And then I might take the time to write it. Otherwise, I just keep on scrolling because it's I could comment on everything if I wanted to. But it would not be beneficial. And it wouldn't be a good use of my time because I'm real humans that are expecting to have real conversations who need authentic relational dialogue. That's really good. I want to affirm your, your thought about pausing too. Um, and I think what's interesting is uh, broad brush, but generally speaking, people who use social media like things that are fast. So it's, it's, it's counter to, I think, the nature of most people who probably use social media to, to pause, slow down. Um, and then James 1.19, let every person be slow to speak. So I like, I like the pause principle. It's helpful. That's really good. And taming the tongue is like the hardest thing to do. But here we are. Yeah. And yeah, James 1.19 is, is key on that. Um, 
There's a guy <coughs> named uh, Peter Steinke, and I, I think ACU's had him mm -hmm. at Cybert come to speak. Yes. Uh, phenomenal guy. I've never yes. met him, but I've read a lot of his books. Uh, and uh, Curtis is here with us from Cybert. Cybert does really great work. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, he, he, he has books on, uh, on congregational leadership. Alvin Institute has published a lot of his books. And uh, he was, I think, somewhat of a disciple of Edwin Friedman, mm -hmm. who was a little bit of a disciple of a guy named uh, Maury Bowman. And uh, who worked with uh, schizophrenic families years, decades ago, and uh, what uh, Bowen? I said Bowen. It's Bowen. I'm worried Bowen. Bowen. And what Bowen figured out was that um, that schizoph uh, in schizophrenic therapy, there was always the in therapy at large, there's always the identified patient. That's the person with the problem, and so you treat the individual. And he was the kind of the founder of family systems theory in a sense. He kind of started that mindset going that there is someone who definitely is exhibiting certain issues that are some mental issues, but to address the individual, you have to address the family system that is working around that and um, maybe encouraging that or helping to develop that or continue that, maintain that. And so that person's never gonna get well until the system improves. And then Edwin Freeman took some of that work and applied it more organizationally. And Peter, and he was, uh, uh, Friedman was, working with churches and organizations and synagogues. I think he was, uh, I don't know if he was a rabbi, but he was at least a Jewish uh, scholar and just an amazing, amazing thinker. And Steinke has applied that to congregations, and he has a book called Congregational Leadership in Anxious Times. It's an excellent book. Uh, but you think about how even some of these dynamics would work, and I don't want to spend any really much time on this other than to talk about non-anxious presence, which is you're just not a good position to have any sort of good dialogue while you're anxious. Um, but these, these same principles work well uh, in, in congregational leadership conversations, is being able to pause and stop and think and consider and think and speak slowly, to be apologetic and, and, and um, vulnerable. We made a mistake. This is what has happened, things like this. This is how we got here. This is what we're going to do next. Or someone, someone comes at you even interpersonally in a congregational life. Again, I want to spend five seconds on this, but someone's coming at you. Some of these same principles apply. You know what? You're right. They're complaining about something. You know what? You're right. Now, in your mind, you're saying, now, they're not right about everything. And my walls sure feel like they're about to go up because my blood pressure is rising, my heart rate. Tell them leadership. You'll know. My blood pressure is rising. My heart rate's going up. My breathing's intensifying. <coughs> I'm gearing up for a very anxious fight experience. The last thing I want to do is show vulnerability. You know what? You're right about this and this and this. In your mind, you're thinking, but not this and this and this. Finally, you're right. But we're going to start with this. And you know what? I'm sorry that it's been that way. And I'm sorry that I contributed to that. It's the same as the online conversation. You find those things that you need to own and say, you know what? I, I didn't have the right attitude toward you. You're, uh, there is no tone in text, but you sure read me right. I was mad at you. And I'm sorry about that. I should not have had the attitude because that's not beneficial for building you up. That's not responding with blessing, right? So uh, these work across mediums is what I'm really saying at this point. Um, any other, other feedback here, thoughts? If we kind of roll through a few more, sure, Tom. Yeah, you know, we've, we've had a, a lot of conversations about how you react to somebody. What happens when you get something that comes your way that is just wrong and bad and, and you know, how do you react to something like that? You know, you feel like you need to correct them 
And you know, I know you can do it in a, in, in a, in a soft and gentle manner, which is what you should do. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, I, my, my wife enjoys watching some of the, the, the Christian uh, talk pages. And she says that the things that are said on there are just incredible. You would never say that in a normal conversation with anybody. Uh, and she just shakes her head at that stuff. Um, how do you stop something like that? Well, I think, again, a couple things. That's a great question. I mean, one, one is to determine to be a non-anxious presence, right? I'm going to do my very best to not bring my own anxiety and my own insecurity to bear in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, another can be, as we talked about a moment ago, is, is sometimes in seeking clarification with someone, what you can actually do is to get them to consider other points of view. And so you can turn some, and I, I think there is a time to make assertions, just to be direct and say, this is what I believe and here's some reasons why I think this is the best thing. Rick actually did that yesterday morning and uh, some of what he was talking about, kind of social gospel and proclaimed gospel proclamation, if you were there for that. And he said the gospel needs words and we need to say the words and Jesus is the best answer to life and what's going on. I mean, that's just truth, right? You know, so it is truth, not just for him. And so uh, I think there is a time for just direct dialogue in that way, but a more general, general approach can often be, have you, instead of saying uh, you're wrong because X, Y, and Z, you can often say, have you considered the following? Are these things that you've thought about, considered? Let them talk about it. Yeah, actually, I have, and I've read whatever it is. And uh, you know, I've read your literature, and I've considered this and this, and here's the couple problems I have with it. Oh, really? Well, let's engage on some of your thoughts about that, which is a different conversation than kind of coming out swinging. Uh, when you come out swinging, you're, you're basically assuming that they've not thought about any of this. And you may be talking to a very well-informed person who's considered more than you've considered. You know, so I, I like the clarification questions because they're disarming, they're non-combative, and it encourages further conversation, which is actually what I'm trying to have. I'm not trying to have to stay close it up and be done conversation. I'm trying to continue a conversation. And so I want to continue to try to bring those walls down. They may say something maybe you've never thought of, and it's not even that you agree with it, but it's helpful to say, I've never thought of that. That's actually a point I've it's never crossed my mind. It's interesting you think of that. You're not condoning it, but you're trying to help that conversation along. You're trying to engage with them, you know? You're, you're, you're trying to bring them along, and, and they may teach you something along the way. And you say, man, I think that's true. Never thought of that. And, you know, and that's part of our problem is we have power dynamics sometimes in our theological conversations where we want to ensure that we're the top dog. And we kind of have to level out some of those power dynamics just a bit. Uh, the gospel ultimately in Jesus has the, the power dynamic. We don't. You know, we're just the medium and the messenger. We're the incarnation, right? So um, I don't know if, if that's helpful, but I, I just think just being non-threatening, being calm is very helpful, asking questions. And there are times just to make, I think, direct assertions and, and, and points about, here's really, do you want to hear what I believe about that and what I think about that? I'd love to share that with you. That's just a whole different intro then. Well, you're wrong because, you know. So I think that's, and you kind of pointed that out in your question is there's a gentle way to do that. Yeah. Do you have some more thoughts on, on that? No, okay. Okay. What else? What else here? Anybody else? I guess, I don't, I don't know if it's a unique situation or not. Um, we happen to have a, another church in our area 
that likes to point out errors in anything and everything that we do or say. I mean, we can say God is love, and they have a problem with that. And how to do that, and they address that on social media by either commenting on something that we have posted, or they will create a post condemning something that we posted and whatever. In a situation like, I mean, you mentioned earlier, don't feed trolls, and we don't seek to irritate anybody. But again, my secretary taking an image and putting a Bible verse on it is controversial to these people. Suggestions on <laughs> how to do that? This is the greatest church in town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean we've, I, I had various people who, who deal with our social media have tried various ways of diffusing those, like saying, you know, we disagree, but God bless you, or whatever, you know, I mean, anything. And yeah. again, sometimes it's so far off base it doesn't even deserve a comment. But it's But there. we are in the same community right. and the people that see that, anyway. Yeah, that's a really hard one. And it's there and people are going to see it. And then, yeah, that's really hard. Uh, part, of, part of my, I started off in psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, this, we we're doing a lot of parent training for child therapy. And uh, I remember this, this one day uh, I was buying groceries and there were these two ladies in line in front of me, and they were dressed inappropriately. And I remember thinking, that's attention-seeking behavior, right? So what am I not going to do? Give them my attention. So I remember turning around in line. I put all my groceries on the belt and literally just turned my back to them and kind of looked around and poke around on the chips or whatever and kind of go this way. They start talking to me. Escalation, right? Which is when you ignore, you get escalation. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's not, they start talking about my groceries as they go down the belt. <laughs> never had this happen before. I, I don't. I can't say I've ever had it happen since. And just I, just, I didn't even look at them. Just complete. I'm not saying I was just being mean spirited. I'm just like, I'm just not going to give you my attention for that. It seems to be you're seeking it. And um, so, I guess all I'm saying is, in that situation, is you have to really, I think, consider what's in it for them and. You know what's some of the, the why behind some of that, and just try really hard to not to not um, reward that in a sense. And I think ignoring probably goes a long way in a sense. And if there's a way to try to make some peace, but there may never be a way to make <coughs> peace with that. And again, that's hard because it kind of just hangs out there for all to see. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, sometimes I, they cross a line that I I think okay, no, I'm not going to let that. Yeah. Like I, there was a comment of somebody about thank God for grace, and then this group chimed in and said, well, without rigid obedience to God's law, there's not enough grace to cover you. Yeah. I just went, okay, answering that one. <laughs> you know, but there, there comes a point in time where, yeah. and I, 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 it is rare for me to delete anything because I feel, no matter how strongly I disagree with something, I, I, I appreciate someone being able to voice a differing perspective. There is something else going on there, though. Yeah, it's not just a differing. They're not trying to engage in a meaningful dialogue at that point in time. And so there, I think there may come a point in time where that, where where they're crossing some of these scriptural lines. Is that beneficial? Is that is that praiseworthy? Is that, you know, that that's not passing the smell test yeah. on the fruit of the spirit or anything else. There, I think there may come a point in time with some of that that you just may have to block that. You know, and to me, almost it's just too, not productive. That, that's part of their identity. Their identity yeah. is. Correcting, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and I agree with that, Jimmy. And mm -hmm. you, you got to think that if you shut that off, 
if you shut that down, they will find someone else. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be bored, right? I mean, uh, yeah. so yeah, we're not the of, only ones, but you're not. Well, yeah. but we're we're the main right target of the arrows. So. so I wouldn't I wouldn't feel bad about it in that. I, I wouldn't personally. Yeah. And that's hard for me to say because I'm I don't I try really hard not to do stuff like that. I do think if it's, if it's your church's web page and you're in charge of social media or your church's Facebook page, um, you're responsible for the content. And uh, we had um, members of our community that were not Christians who posted some things about our church that were not true. It was, it was kind of just a cyberbullying kind of random thing. And, and I thought it was very appropriate to delete it and to remove those. They posted pictures. To remove those pictures and just move on. I didn't yes. contact them. I didn't explain myself it was not any of their business this is our website our facebook presence and you're not you don't have the opportunity to control that mm -hmm. i think is mm -hmm. the way that i kind of consider this yeah uh i mean again first peter three comes to mind return blessing for insult i mean if there's a way to engage them on a face-to-face -face level but you know um i uh that's yeah that's, that, that's a tough one sure typically do you think it's one person or is it really that church? Is it that one person that sits in front of that computer screen? And is, it's not one person. It's, it's, it's no. Well, and you, that's a great question. And you have to consider that if, if you were to end that, block that, whatever the course would be to make that stop, you're not really ending a relationship. Yeah. Because you don't have, really have there. There's not really much there. So I, I don't. Yeah. A lot of prayer on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pause. Consider. <laughs> Sure, Curtis. This isn't, yes, sir. this isn't so much from the social media angle, just kind of a general principle to, to kind of throw into the mix, and that is um, the opportunity to get busy telling your own story so that you're taking whomever is watching down a narrative that you want them to know about. Good. And because I think about the apologetics a lot of times in the past, they weren't really trying to convert the people who were not Christians, they were holding on to the ones who were. And so it's almost like an opportunity to just tell your story. And if they take a shot at it, that's their business to tell your story. I can tell your story. And be, just walk with the Lord in that. I like that. And, you know, that, that's the other thing. One reason I don't mind just weird comments just hanging out in cyberspace is the average, normal, everyday person can read that and know exactly what it is. Yep. So um, that's a great, great thought. I appreciate that. Well said. All right. Anybody else here? We kind of have a few more minutes, and I'm going to share just another point or two. But I, I, this is a, such a great, great dialogue. So feel free, please. Sure. Yeah, I was just wondering if you maybe could speak to the idea of like people who comment on threads and get into discussion arguments with people they don't really know. Like, what kind of things that you've done in that situation? Yeah. So that's where I have tended to find the most arguments. Are people who you don't know, um, and so I tend to ask a lot more questions of people that I don't know, just to try to understand where they're coming from, uh, and and just to try to be patient in that process. And often they're not really very patient back, uh, but at least to do my due diligence on on extending an olive branch, listening, trying to understand where they're coming from, and and trying to go from there. Um, and again, I, I think the biggest the biggest point I want to make is. Is, is to come from a, a, a proactively Christian, Holy Spirit, Scripture-informed posture that you're just not reacting to people. I think solves a lot of the issues, but again, that takes 
that takes, any discipline takes intentionality. You know, that's why it's a discipline. We don't naturally do these things. Um, so that's, that's, I don't know about y'all, I think you all seemed to indicate a while ago, that's where most of our difficult conversations come from, are people we really don't know very well. People we really know, like. Like for me, it's like, it's like I can communicate and in a calm manner, but other people I know, like discussing a situation on a thread, and it's like, you know, it's like, how do you, like, get them back to, like, the focus, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's a good question. So there are some things you can say, like, hey, let's get back to the original point. Uh, let's um, uh, be Christ-like, you know, friends are Christian people. I mean, it's, let's keep that in mind and, you know, that sort of thing. There's some things I think, you, like, I try to call people back to. One of the things I'll call people back to is issues, not personalities. So I'm calling you back to discuss BOP. Right, it's like, what were we talking about? Bring it back. Don't don't talk about each other. Talk about that. Talk about an issue, not a person. If you start talking about people, then we're on a whole another game, and that's not why I posted that. So please refrain from that. And you can even say, if you continue to do that, you know, I'm going to start taking down comments that engage like this, and just let people know that's that that you know they can expect that to be gone if they continue to engage in those types of things and let them make their own decisions. Yeah, that's good. Good question. Y'all have any other? I don't want to be the only one to answer. If y'all have some thoughts on that, please. Tim, I was going to say one place where I feel I need to intervene is when one commenter attacks another comment. Yes. They say something about me. Okay, I can deal with that. But I, I had once a woman say, "I've been tempted to comment on your blog, but I don't want so and so to attack me." Well, I don't want that sort of situation to exist. Yeah. Hmm. So what did you do? Um, well, it depends. Either step in and say, okay, you know, you can't talk about other people. If you don't talk about the topic, fine. If you direct comment to someone else, I'm going to delete it. You know, just kind of put some rules into the discussion. Yeah. I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest sign you know you're losing an argument is if you go ad hominem and you begin attacking person people. You know, you disengage from the conversation. There, there's, there's no productive way of going about that. So it doesn't lend itself to any kind of real conversation. So I, I think that's wise to put limits on that and engage that even, even privately. Um, some of my stranger conversations happen in private message. Has it probably happened to all of us? Because people don't want to say that out loud in a public forum. Mm -hmm. They'll the message you and say it, and it's like, wow, wow. I can see why you didn't want to say that. I'm like, ah, in the comments. Um, another couple things here, just real briefly. Uh, again, just to address potential difficulties. If you think about Don McLaughlin's keynote last night, mm -hmm. um, one of the coolest things about what he did last night was he worked through very gently, to Tom's point, um, he really worked on potential objection. The heart a potential objection to what he was saying as he was working through it. Almost as Paul would do, because Paul sent in a letter and he knows that, that it's going to get there and he's not going to be there to deliver it and explain it and clarify. So, you know, sometimes in Paul's letters he'll make some points and he'll, it's like he's anticipating their objection. He kind of puts in maybe something they might say and then he responds to that. In a, in a sermon or a keynote like what Don McLaughlin did last night, there's no response. In that, it's not a conversation. He kind of did that a little last night, where he, the ruffling feathers thing. 
um, where he unpacked how someone might feel about the conflict or change, and then talked to it was a little metacognition. How do you think or feel when this happens? And let's talk about how you're thinking and feeling, and then let's unpack that, and then work through that together. He did that last night. Whether you agreed or disagreed with you know all of his points is a, is, is is for you to think about. Uh, but he did that masterfully last night. Uh, so when you when you're in a potentially difficult um, subject, I really like sometimes to mention this is difficult for me. I have a hard time talking about things like this. So will you? This is the vulnerability. Can you be patient with me on this? And now all of a sudden they're coming at it from a, a little bit more careful perspective. They're a little less likely to just jump in and attack you when you're basically saying, I'm having a hard time with this myself and it's not something I, I'm not reveling talking about this. If you could hear tone in what I'm saying, it's more timid and, and careful. I'm not yelling at you and I'm not being dogmatic if you're trying to read my words that way. I, I, I need your patience with me on this. And sometimes I'll even say, you know, I think you know far more about this than I do. I'm listening. I'm always listening. I think if you don't come to a conversation expecting to learn something, I think you're coming at it from maybe a little bit of the wrong perspective. Uh, just a couple more, two more things here. I know we got to go. Uh, last one or two is, you know, sometimes we speak absolutely about things with absolute terms where it's a lot more conditional than we're letting on. It's just shorthand. It's just shortcut. We speak just very quickly, very absolutely. Well, you know it's such and such, such and such, as obvious as can be. Well, it's actually not that obvious. There's actually a lot of people smarter than me who think differently on that. You know, so sometimes uh, you, you you couch some of your language in a little more tentative terms, mm -hmm. a little bit less absolute, especially on, on more gray areas. If it's Jesus is Lord, that's not. I'm not going to couch that language in ifs, ands, or buts. You know, uh, but not everything's of that of that level. And again, be willing to pray and bless that, pray for and bless that other person. And sometimes that's just how the conversation has to end. I love you, praying for you, God bless you. Looks like we just kind of need to go our separate ways. And, I, and I'm praying for me to understand this better, and maybe for you to understand this better, and hopefully God will help us on that. You know? God bless you. Wish you peace. Mm -hmm. And that's often received really well. I mean, sometimes that's conversations that are really hard can end well on a note like that. Um, so I know we got to go. It's, it's time to wrap up. I appreciate you all, your input. You've had very insightful questions and comments and answers and thoughts. And so thank you so much for that. And, and I hope there's been a thing or two maybe it's got you thinking a little bit. So um, God bless you. Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you.